Open your Bibles with me for a few minutes to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Oh, we have a wonderful privilege tonight to follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in between Him and us are twelve plus apostles and thousands of faithful saints. And we get to follow in their footsteps. Tonight I want to take a few minutes and work a little further on the fact that there is no fine line between the righteous and the wicked. The work the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us is great and large. It's exceeding magnificent. It is forever. It is a salvation without end. And there is no comparison because He did nothing for the righteous, for the wicked. He's left them in this world to the just condemnation of their own sins. Let's come to Revelation chapter 20 and I want to read the last five verses to you. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. John in vision sees these things. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the future of mankind. All men shall stand before the great white throne of God Almighty and be judged according to their works out of the books of their works that will be brought. Nothing will be forgotten. Every work, whether it be good or bad, every work done in secret or openly, will be brought before the tribunal of the great holy God. Men will be judged according to their works. Death and hell will be brought up. All the dead in the sea will be brought up. And then they will be cast formally into the lake of fire for an eternity. Now, brethren, tonight we've sang a little bit about heaven. We have had mention in prayer tonight that God has gone to prepare mansions for us in heaven. This is no fine line. This is no fine line at all, whether some are in heaven and some are cast into the lake of fire. The terminology of Scripture is incredibly powerful. Lake of fire. To drown not in water, but in flames. This is the end of humanity for their rebellion against the Most High God. But it said another book was opened, the book of life. Whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Now the world tries to make a very fine line. And it's why it's hard to have assurance sometimes. They say that this book of life You get your name into it by what you've done. And that truly makes it a very fine line between the righteous and the wicked. 
because then it, all it is is something you did. And when you ask the average Arminian in Greenville County what it takes, what you must do in order to have your name written in the book of life, they just give you some simple little sinner's prayer to pray. They believe that God the Father loved all humanity equally. Jesus Christ paid for all their sins. And the Holy Spirit tries to woo and draw all those to believe on Jesus Christ. He does the same thing for all those in heaven as those in hell. Therefore, the result of whether your name is in the book of life or not is based on what you did. Now that is a fine line. Because you have God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit doing the same for those in the lake of fire as those that are in heaven. And the only difference is what you have done. That is a fine line, but that's not the Word of God. That's not the Word of God at all. This is a horrible passage of Scripture. Unless your confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you understand all that it's saying is all men that are not found in the book of life are going into the lake of fire. And that is where we and they all belong. But come back to verse 6 of this chapter. Come back to verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. There is a first resurrection that Revelation 20 and verse 6 tells us about that saves us from the second death. The second death is the lake of fire. You can die once and go to hell. You can die once and be buried in the sea, but the sea will give up your body and hell will give up your soul. You'll stand before God and you'll be cast into the lake of fire formally and forever. But those that were in the first resurrection will not be cast in the lake of fire. The second death hath, what does it say? No power. No No purgatory, brethren. There's no purgatory for the purging of your sins. There's heaven or the lake of fire. And it's called the first resurrection. And the first resurrection is when you're born again. The first resurrection is when you're resurrected to new life in Christ. The second resurrection is when your body is raised to be with the Lord. But the first resurrection is being born again. And so if you've got any evidence at all that you're born again, the second death hath no power over you. There's nothing to fear. This is no fine line. Either the Lord Jesus Christ has reached forth and spoken His regenerating creative power and altered you from ordinary wicked men, or He has not. And it's very simple to know. It's not something you need to spend a great deal of time Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ or no? Do you love His gospel or no? Do you love to sing His praise or no? Do you love to serve His saints or no? If you do, it's simple. You've been in the first resurrection already. And you're living and reigning with Jesus Christ now. And the second death will have no power over you. There is no way that I, being such a poor speaker, could ever describe the solemnity and the gravity and the horror of this event in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. We can read the words of Scripture, and I hope that you are paying close enough attention, and the Holy Spirit is writing on your heart enough for you to realize that it is a horrible event that's coming. But it has no power on us. Because we've been in the first resurrection. That passage isn't to terrify you. 
That passage is just describing what the future of the human race is. It's not to terrify you, because you've already been taken out of it. In verse 6, whosoever is in the first resurrection, the second death hath no power over them. There's no claim, because your name is in the book of life. They can open all the books they want of all the sins of a Mary Magdalene or a Manasseh. But the Lord Jesus Christ washed them all away. And their name will be found in the book of life. This is no fine line. This is a great dramatic difference between the lake of fire and heaven. That's where we're all going. That's where your great grand, maybe your great great grandparents already are. In one place or another, they know what the coming judgment's going to be. But it will be formally pronounced upon all men right here with this event that is yet in the future. Let's come back in our Bibles to chapter 13. You know, it ought to be of the greatest concern to us whether our names are in the book of life. Because it said, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If your name is in the book of life, that's because you are in the first resurrection, because your name was placed there by God Almighty, and He gave the Lord Jesus Christ charge to deliver you from the second death. Let's come to Revelation 13.8. It says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship Him. It's speaking of the beast. The false church, the enemy of Jesus Christ and His churches. Whose, and it says in verse 8, All that dwell upon the earth shall worship Him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Just one short rabbit trail. This verse says that all that follow this beast, and this beast in 12, 13, 17, and 18, under various figures, is the Roman Catholic Church, its ministry, pagan Rome, papal Rome, the priesthood, and all of the lying signs and wonders, and spiritual fornication of that unholy church. And it says that all whose names are not written in the book of life worship this beast. Now, do you remember from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? It says that God would send them strong delusion that they would believe a lie and they would follow the man of sin, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification and belief of the truth. God's delivered us from believing this lie that the rest of the world will be so subject to. But now that's not what I wanted. So back to the main course, the main path that we're following here. All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life. Now, where are all those people going to go? Into the lake of fire. They'll be cast into the lake of fire because their names are not written in the book of life. Now, we have a bunch of prepositional phrases here. Prepositional phrases are little tiny words that indicate what verbs are doing. And it says they were not written, here's the first one, in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, those are five prepositional phrases. What are they modifying? I've, I've read some of the most eloquent, beautiful little dissertations on the fact that Jesus Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. Sorry. Jesus Christ was slain 2,000 years ago. He wasn't slain at the foundation. He wasn't slain from the foundation. He was slain 2,000 years ago. For 4,000 years, he wasn't slain. The, re- the way they get that is they look at the words, 
the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We have two prepositional phrases, from the foundation of the world. Is from the foundation of the world modifying the verb slain, or is it modifying the verb written? It's modifying the verb written on two counts. Number one, Jesus wasn't slain from the foundation of the world. Number two, we have Revelation 17.8. So turn over and look at Revelation 17.8 with me. The words of the, from the foundation of the world are not modifying when Jesus was slain. They're going back and modifying when our names were written in the book of life or when they were not written. Because all the writing in the book of life was done before the foundation of the world. Revelation 17.8 puts it this way, The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition, and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life. From the foundation of the world. That's what, that, that's what those two prepositional phrases are modifying. It's the writing, not the lamb slain. Lamb slain is modifying the book of life. It's called the book of life of the lamb slain. Because without the lamb being slain, the book of life doesn't do us any good. That's why John saw in Revelation chapter 5, when John saw the book in the hands of him that sat in the throne, and there was no man in heaven or earth that could open it, he wept. But there was one found. The lamb slain. That's why it's called his book. Because he was able to take it out of the hands of him that sat in the throne. And it is the book of life of the Lamb slain. And it's the Lamb slain that allowed him to take that book and begin ripping the seals off it. And in that book are all the blessings. It's the book of the everlasting covenant. And all the blessings that we're going to get when we exit this life and enter the next through the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 13.8 and 17.8 tell us when our names were put in the book of life. Now, brethren, this is a huge difference. This is not a fine line. This is not a fine line. See, the world out there thinks that you get your name in the book of life by something you do. Now, that's a fine line. Because God's done all He could do. Jesus died the best He could. And the Holy Spirit tried to save you, but He couldn't do it. So what made the difference? The difference was something you did. But notice what the Bible teaches us. That the names in the book of life that save you from the lake of fire were put there before the world began. And some names were put there, and some names were not put there. And that is the choice of Almighty God. And that is what we believe. That's what we rejoice in. And the difference of putting your name there or not putting your name there is no fine line. It is a huge difference. It is an unbelievable difference. It will affect the souls of men forever and ever. And everyone that is in the lake of fire deserves to be there. God is not an unrighteous God to leave any names of the book of life. He is a merciful and unfair God to put any names in the book of life. Because if He was purely fair, your name and my name would not be there. Because we don't deserve to have our names in the book of life. It is pure mercy and grace that they are there. Brethren, look at what we've read so far. There is an event coming in which all men will have their books opened and every work that you have done, whether it be good or bad, secret or public, is going to be brought before the tribunal of God Almighty and He is a holy God. The heaven and the earth will flee away from the face of Him that sits on that throne. 
And if your name is not in the book of life, you will be pronounced a worker of iniquity that he never knew you and to get out of his sight because the foolish shall not stand in his sight. And you will be cast into the lake of fire. But if your name was written in the book of life before the foundation of the world, from the foundation of the world, and if you were part of the first resurrection, the second death hath no power over you at all. They can read all the sins that they want to, and I've already listed some terrible sinners that the Bible tells us about. But the blood of the Lamb washed all those sins away. And when that book is open and some holy angel says, the name is here. All those terrible works that were read are gone. Because the blood of the Lamb was slain, and God will accept the sacrifice of His Son, has accepted the sacrifice of His Son, and will pronounce you righteous. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That's the future. And it's no fine line. Now, can we prove to ourselves that we're in the first resurrection? If we're in the first resurrection, then our names were written in the book of life before the world began. Come to 1 John chapter 5. We're backing up through Revelation into 1 John 5. Let's remind ourselves of why we have a Bible. The Bible isn't made to terrify the children of God. The Bible's made to comfort the children of God. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40. There's a time. There's a time to remind you of the terror of the Lord to persuade men to live holy lives. But there's a great deal of comfort in the Word of God. We're not supposed to go around all the time worrying about whether we're going to go to hell or not. We're supposed to go around worrying what more can we do for the Lord instead of worrying about whether we're going to go to hell or not. Fear crushes you. Fear beats you down. We want to rejoice that we're in the first resurrection. Instead of thinking or talking about the second death all the time, let's talk about the first resurrection. Instead of talking about not being found in the book of life, let's talk about being found in the book of life. Because Jesus told His disciples, He said, notwithstanding, they came back to Him, they were so excited, 70 of them, because they had cast out devils in Luke chapter 10, I believe it is. And Jesus said to them, don't get so excited that the spirits were subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You look at some of their lives, they're faithless, they're fearful, and you wonder, are those God's elect? I can measure up to that. You know, the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, ye of little faith, how many times did he have to say that to them? Be not afraid, as we already sang once. They were afraid in a little storm. And they had the Lord Jesus Christ sleeping on their ship. If you're ever afraid, that doesn't mean you're not God's elect. It means you cast yourself upon the Lord Jesus Christ and follow Him. Your fearfulness will be brought before you in that great day for you fearing when there's no reason to fear, but it'll be blotted out by your name being in the book of life. Confess your fear and go on. 1 John 5.13 I know I've read this to you before when I started this little series on no fine line a few weeks ago, but I want to read it to you again because this is why we have Scripture. 1 John 5.13 These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. I want to excite you about the Son of God, John writes, because I'm writing to you that already believe on Him. I can promise you, I can guarantee you, 
you've already got eternal life. Get excited about believing on Him more. I want to exhort you to believe even more until your faith and assurance increases and increases until there is no fear because your perfect love has cast out all fear. We need to ask ourselves, was I in the first resurrection? Because if we were in the first resurrection, the second death hath no power. No power over us. As soon as our name is found in the book of life, we are ushered straight into heaven. Do you know what Second Peter describes that entrance as? A marginal entrance? A bare entrance? Uh, you just barely made it? The door almost closed on you, buddy? What's it called? Abundantly. Abundant entrance. Abundant entrance. It's not going to be the Lord saying, oh, I guess I'll let you in. It's going to be, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Amen. Brethren, this is the truth. I am just a sinner like you, but I am a messenger of the Most High God. This is His Word to you. It will be an abundant, abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there is a great difference. God the Father loved you, and He did not love those in the lake of fire. Jesus Christ died for you, and He did not die for those in the lake of fire. And the Holy Spirit regenerated you in the first resurrection, and He did not those in the lake of fire. It is a great difference. Great difference. Now let's look at it. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Oh, I used to sing a song. And there's other churches in Greenville that sing that song. There's a new name written down in glory. No, there isn't. There are no new names written down in glory. All the names were written down there before the foundation of the world. And you know what? Tonight you can know that your name was written down by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and laying hold of eternal life. And you know when it was written? Not when you believed, but long ago. Long ago. God the Father chose you in Christ Jesus, put your name in the book of life of the Lamb. Then He sent the Lamb to die for you. Then He sent the Holy Spirit to creatively regenerate your soul so that you would love the things of God. It's it's glorious. And it's all centered around the book of life of the Lamb slain. Remember my death until I come. Right there. Remember my death until I come. Because, brethren, the whole universe revolves around that transaction in which the Lord Jesus Christ paid the legal debt for our sins and washed us from our sins in His own blood and the book of life was put into force. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain and hath redeemed us to God by His blood. It was all past tense when He arose up into heaven and took the book of life, of the everlasting covenant, of the judgments upon the wicked out of the hand of Him that sat in the throne. It was all past tense. 2,000 years ago, we remember it tonight. Romans 8, verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Romans 8, 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
If He gave the Lord Jesus Christ for you, He's going to give everything else for you. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. So when those books are open in Revelation chapter 20, and we stand there and there's horrible things in those books about our lives, they're going to be wiped away by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, because who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. I'm thankful that I already know the judge ahead of time. Do you know who the judge is at that great tribunal? My father. Do you know who the mediator is at that great tribunal? The judge's son and my brother. And he shed his blood for me. And when that son comes and approaches his father, who has already accepted him, there is not a thing he'll withhold from me. He will acquit me. He will adopt me. I mean, I'm talking formally. He will acquit me from all my sins, forgive me all my transgressions, and adopt me as his own son, and sign over an eternal inheritance to me, which is to be in heaven forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is coming. That event is coming. Revelation 20 isn't to cause us fear. It's to tell us what's happening to all the enemies. Do you understand that? Revelation 20 is to tell us what is happening to the enemies of the true churches of Jesus Christ. Because that book of life was mentioned in 13.8, all those that follow the beast don't have their names in it. 17.8, all those that follow the beast don't have their names in it. So when you get to chapter 20, verse 15, all those that don't have their names in it go to hell. Go to the lake of fire. That verse isn't there to terrify the righteous. It's not there to terrify His children. It's to tell His children what's going to happen to all those that are persecuting them. We want to tremble before the great God of heaven. But we want to tremble with rejoicing. (laughs) Can we do it together? It's a sign that we're born again if we can do it both. If we can do both together. Because that's a mark of the righteous. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. My mediator, my advocate, my defense attorney, my lawyer, my savior, my high priest has died for me. Does, do you think, is that a pretty decent commitment? Is that a pretty good retainer? Do you know how you get a lawyer to work for you? You pay him a retainer. I've got a retainer on the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave his life for me. Who's going to condemn me? Jesus Christ is there because his own death is at stake. Not a single one that he died for will be lost. And he promised that before he even died. He said, I'll not lose a single one of them. Brethren, there's no fine line. Now we want to find out whether we're in the first resurrection. Psalm 10. Psalm 10. This is not tricky. This is not rocket science. This is not difficult. It's the comfort of the gospel. Lord, give us faith to believe it. Give every hearer faith to believe it. Psalm 10, verse 4. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all His thoughts. That's a description of the wicked. 
God is not in all His thoughts. So those of you that tremble when you read Revelation 20, 11 through 15, are you like that? God is not in all your thoughts? You never have a, a humble, affectionate, fearful, reverential appreciation for the God of heaven? You never have one? This is a description of the wicked. The righteous are not like this at all. There's, it's no fine line between the righteous and the wicked. There are, the vast majority of the human race out there never has a positive, godly thought about God. All they can think about is themselves. Their stupid little businesses, their cars, their houses, their children, getting a degree and all the rest of the garbage that the world seeks after. They don't have positive thoughts about God. The verse tells us that. They're too proud to humble themselves before God. Do you love the God of heaven? Do you love reading about Him? Do you love singing about Him? It's no fine line, brethren. Rejoice. You're in a totally different category. What would make that difference? The regenerating power of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. He spoke life into your soul. He said, live, and you became alive in a way that you were not alive before. You had a heart that turned toward God and loved the things of God, loved to sing His praise, hated sin, though you sometimes did sin because you still had the flesh attached to you. And so we find men like David, we find men like Peter that are God's elect, part of the second, the first resurrection, and the second death shall have no power over them, though they were not sinlessly perfect. There's comfort in a verse like Psalm 10.4. Turn to John 3.3. 3. John 3.3. 3. It's not wrong that you want to know that you're a child of God and that heaven's for you. That's why we have places like 1 John 5.13. These things that are written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. That's why we have it there. That's why we have Peter saying, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to keep teaching you these things, that if you'll do these things, you'll never fall. That's why we have those kind of statements. Because the Lord knows. The Lord knows. But you know, if He was to give you a peek at the book of life or send a page down from heaven, and you knew your name was there, I'll tell you it would not be the best thing for your soul. It would not be the best thing for your soul and the best thing for His glory. Because you'd presume on it. And you'd go live any way you wanted to because you knew you had heaven locked up. You say, I don't believe that we're that wicked. You might be that bad, but I don't think we are. Well, then I'll raise King Hezekiah as my example. King Hezekiah was one of the greatest kings in the history of Judah. And when God promised him 15 more years in his life, it went to his head and he got proud. And he did things in those 15 years that he wouldn't have done if God had not given him that 15-year guarantee. Do you know a guarantee is not a good thing when it comes to diligent fighting the good fight of faith against our flesh? If we had a guarantee, we would let the flesh rule knowing that it didn't matter. Are you all with me on that? He knows. He, know, he wants you to have comfort, but He wants you to be laboring and laying up in store for that good day. It's the greatest... I've told you that one before. We have solved the knot. We have solved the dilemma of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility with the truth of the gospel. God is entirely sovereign. 
but we need to be bringing forth good works and very responsible in order to believe that it's for us. John 3.3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, when Nicodemus came to him and said, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Do you know what the rest of his ministerial association said about Jesus? He did these works by the power of Beelzebub. What did Nicodemus say? We know you're doing it by the power of God. Do you know what Jesus said back to him? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. No one can recognize God or Jesus Christ or the things of the spiritual things of the word of God without being part of the first resurrection. Do you believe that Jesus Christ came into this world? Do you believe there's a God that created the heavens and the earth to whom you owe your life and existence and that His Son Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary and you ought to obey Him? You would not even see those things nor care about them if it were not for you having been in the first resurrection. The first resurrection is the born again right here. You know, you're resurrected, you're born again. You're brought forth into life again, which is a resurrection. It's right here. You wouldn't even be able to see these things. You wouldn't even care about them. Now, that doesn't mean you sit and listen to them. It doesn't mean you hear them. It doesn't mean you quote them. It means you see them, understand them, believe them, and do something about them. You live them. Don't let me comfort the wicked that sit here and think that they're safe because they're in this assembly. I won't comfort them. Chapter 5. John chapter 5. Do you believe the commands of Scripture? When they come against you, when you hear me preach something from God's Word that tells you that the way you're doing something is wrong, do you want to fight against it out of the pride of your countenance? Or do you want to humble yourself before it and obey it? Amen. Yes and yes. Yes, part, part of me hates it. And yes, there's part of me that loves it and wants to do it. Do you have that conflict in you? That's the new man, old man conflict. We're to put off the old and put on the new. John 5.24 John 5.24 Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That is a very thorough, complete statement of salvation. He that heareth in the present tense my word. You hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just his words alone, but the words preached about the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe on him in the present tense. When you hear in the present tense and believe in the present tense, you're in possession of everlasting life. You have it. The man that does that hath everlasting life. He has it right now. Right now we're hearing and we're believing. Right now we're in possession of everlasting life. In that future day that I read about in Revelation 20, we shall not come into condemnation. In that future, that's why it's future tense. You shall not come into condemnation, but we are past, or He is past, from death into life. We're already born again. We've already been in the first resurrection. How do you know that you were in the first resurrection? You believe on the name of the Son of God. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Right. And that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. John 6, 26. 
Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, John 6, 26, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. If you're here in this assembly for any advantage you get by being in this assembly, rather than the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're on the wrong side of the no fine line. But are any of you here for a reason like that? Or are you here because of the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus always had men following Him for the loaves to fill their bellies. Are you here for that? Are you here for the Lord Jesus Christ? Because you know the truth is taught here, that Jesus Christ is worshipped here, and these are the true saints of God, and you want to worship with them. It's very different than these people. There's no fine line here. Are you here to fill your belly or to fill your soul? If you're here to fill your soul, who gave you a soul and told you it needed to be filled? The Lord God of heaven did. John 6.44 No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Brethren, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? That is what it means to come to Him. Do you believe on Him? Is He the Son of God? Is He worthy of you following Him? Would you give up things to follow Him? Do you love Him and trust Him? Do you want to obey Him? Do you obey Him? You've been drawn to that by the power of His Father in heaven, and He will raise you up. In the last day. Up. All the way up into heaven. John 8. No frustration with the word of God. John 8.43 Oh, you need to come back and see verse 30. Uh, Is this the kind of believer you are? I know what your little melancholy souls do to you. I'm just a false believer. Let's read about some false believers. John 8, 30. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Must have been a huge, successful evangelistic crusade. It said many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. He pushed them a little bit. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That was it. That's all that it took. And if you start reading from that verse on, They wanted to kill the Lord Jesus Christ because he said, you need to be free. Jews were so nationalistic that they thought they were as free as any man on earth. And when Jesus said, if you'll believe on me, the lowly carpenter from Nazareth, you can be free. They got upset and said, we're the children of Abraham and we've been free for a long time. And if you go down and read this very quickly, they wanted to kill him. There's lots of people that believe certain things about Jesus Christ, but they don't continue. And when the Word of God is preached, they rebel against it and get angry and they disappear. And they want to kill the man who's preaching or they want to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that in your hearts? No, that's not in your hearts. There's no fine line about that. Those are wicked men. They hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ preached and it grates on their nerves. And they hate it because they have so much confidence in the flesh, they cannot stand being told that they need a Savior. They cannot stand being told the Son of God did everything for them. 
They had all the confidence in themselves and their national pedigree of being children of Abraham. This is a horrible chapter. John chapter 8. Do you know what he ended up telling those that believed on him in 14 verses? He said, ye are of your father the devil. They were children of the devil. Now how do we know the children of God versus the children of the devil? If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And for those of you that have continued with me, and with the Lord, you know how I mean that I'm quoting the words of Jesus Christ who used the first person, me. For those of you that have continued, when the word of God is preached, it doesn't drive you away. It doesn't make you angry. You don't want to stone me. You want to hear more of it and do more of it. Amen. It's a huge difference between the children of the devil and the children of God. John eight forty three. look at it. Why do ye not understand my speech? Do you know, do you know what his speech was here? If you were really the children of Abraham, you would show a little bit of kindness to me instead of wanting to kill me. Is that a deep speech? Is that hard for you to figure out? They couldn't figure it out. They wanted to kill the Lord Jesus Christ for that kind of reasoning. Because he implied that they weren't free men. Nationalism is the stupidest thought that's ever come down for a group of men. It ruined the human race, the Tower of Babel, and it's ruined men ever since. And these men put their trust in nationalism. They were Jews. So look what Jesus said in verse 43. Why do you not understand my speech? Why can't you figure me out in what I'm saying that if you were truly the descendants of Abraham or the children of Abraham, you'd act a little bit like Abraham? Even because you cannot hear my word. There is nothing inside of you for my word to land on. You cannot hear my word. You are spiritually dead. Your ears are stopped up. Your eyes are blind. Your heart is cold. And it's not born again. John 8, 43. Then he called them the children of the devil in verse 44. Then in verse 47 he said, He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Does the preaching of the gospel cause you to want to kill the Lord Jesus Christ? Does it make you angry? That's the wicked. The righteous love it and they continue in it. And I'll remind you again, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. That is the measure. Do you hear it and you want to continue in it? Do you want to hear more of it? And do you want to follow that Savior ever more perfectly? That is no fine line, brethren. That's how we know. The wicked don't ever have a positive thought about God. God is not in all their thoughts. I hope God's in most of your thoughts. Isn't He? We should do everything to the glory of God our Father and in praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything, whether we eat or drink, we should be thanking God for every bit of it. You have been resurrected in the first resurrection. That is why you hear me and you've heard me for years. When I see a belly worshiper, someone that talks about their job all the time, talks about their health all the time, talks about garbage like that all the time. There is no evidence they are of God. None. The evidence that you are of God is that you hear the words of God and they are what's precious to you. God is not in all their thoughts based on what they say to us. They're belly worshipers. Paul would say they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. Much more can be said. It's no fine line of what Jesus Christ has done for us. 
Our names are written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And the way we know that is by hearing His Word, believing on Him. It shows that we're in possession of eternal life. We shall not be condemned in that day. We have passed from death into life. We are born again. We're in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over us. And the passage isn't even given to terrify us. It's to tell us what's going to happen to all of our enemies. If we get a little bit of residual terror out of it, it's good for us. Because it drives us to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But three verses later he said, For the love of Christ constraineth me. He, never, he kept the two connected. And we want to keep the two connected. The Lord Jesus Christ has come into this world and laid down His life for us. Let's lay hold of that tonight by calling upon Him, believing Him in our hearts, and purposing in our hearts that we do love the Gospel and that we want to obey it more perfectly and that we want to thank Him for being slain to put that book of life into force. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Amen.